from the National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Happy birthday, Church! Pentecost Sunday is here, and given the state of our world, there is a need more than ever to celebrate the Holy Spirit's constant presence in our Church. To help us prepare for Pentecost, we've invited Scripture scholar John Bergsma back to Register Radio. And then we catch up with Edward Penton for his insights on the new Cardinals. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and we are replaying a wonderful segment on Pentecost recorded in 2021. John Bergsma is a professor of theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, a former Protestant pastor. Dr. Bergsma entered the church in 2001. He has authored seven books on scripture and the Catholic faith. So Pentecost is kind of a forgotten feast day. It's, it's uh, sandwiched between uh, the Assumption and uh, Corpus Christi, which ends up having a lot of fanfare with the parishes that do uh, processions and such. But a lot of times we kind of just let Pentecost slip on by, and that's that's a disaster for the church, really. I mean, it's such an important an important feast day. Why why do you think this happens? That Pentecost sort of gets tucked in there and forgotten. Well, I think uh, you know the festivities that we surround uh, Christmas and Easter with uh, kind of occupy a lot of our attention, and the Holy Spirit has has been called the Great Unknown and the <laughs> yeah. Forgotten Person of the Trinity, um, but. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that we don't pay as much attention to this feast day as some of the others in our calendar, because it's huge, and in a lot of ways, it's what the whole buildup has been about uh, ever since Advent, because Christ comes in part to give us the Holy Spirit. That was a major aspect of His mission, and His mission isn't complete until the Spirit is poured out on us. He even tells the apostles in the upper room that it's necessary for him to go away so that the Spirit can come on us. So this should be kind of like a big climax to uh, the, the church year, and in, in many ways liturgically it is, but kind of culturally we don't do as much of the fanfare for it as we do for some of the other holy days, and maybe we could try to correct that and try to uh, you know, ham it up a little bit. You know, too, yeah, too what do you suggest? The, what do you suggest? Well, what are some of the ways we can just increase our awareness, even in our own homes, of, of the meaning and purpose and, and importance of Pentecost? Absolutely. Well, you know, in some cultures in Europe, roses are very strongly associated with uh, Pentecost because of their red color and the association of the flames of the Holy mm. Spirit coming down. And, uh, in, in fact, in some European countries, it's called Rose Sunday uh, when you celebrate uh, Pentecost. So that's something that we can do. We can get into the spirit of that. Roses are also great because Pentecost often falls in the month of May, which is the month of our Blessed Mother. Um, and she, of course, is strongly associated with Pentecost. We usually portray Pentecost with the apostles gathered around her as they receive the Holy Spirit, and that uh, reminds us of, you know, that, that close relationship we call uh, the Spirit the spouse, uh, or the Blessed Mother the spouse of the Spirit. So roses are great both for uh, reminding us of the Spirit and the Blessed Mother, so we could 
add some roses to our home, put some rose decoration on the table for Pentecost uh, brunch or whatever it might be. Um, we can wear red to Mass. That's a great thing. Everybody <laughs> pull out something red and, you know, to, to kind of get in that spirit. Um, you know, so those, those are some I, ideas. I to, have one that my family... Yeah, I have one that my family used to do, um, and that was uh, have a, a birthday cake, um, actually, for the church, because uh, Pentecost is indeed considered uh, the birth of, of the Catholic Church, uh, the birthday of the Catholic Church. And so we used to, we used to do that and, of course, explain to the, to the kids why um, we were having birthday cake. <laughs> so, um, so that Did could be another... happy birthday, church? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's it's a, it's a way to 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 you know get that in their brains and and help them to understand. Right. Now, this is um, helping us to understand is something that you do um, through your your scriptural exegesis and 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 the explaining of scripture to us. You've been doing that especially at the register uh, these last uh, few weeks through the Sunday guide. Um, what do the scriptures tell us about the meaning of Pentecost? How should we understand the scriptures that will be reading this Sunday? Sure. So the scriptures uh, for this coming up Sunday just draw on so many images uh, and predictions uh, from the Old Testament. Um, so there is a vigil for Pentecost, and the vigil has an unusual number of Old Testament readings. Um, one option for the Old Testament reading is the story of the Tower of Babel, and that's where the human family was broken apart in, into different language groups, and, you know, different parts of the human family were alienated from one another. And that's read because uh, Pentecost is a reverse of the Tower of Babel. Um, because remember there, all these people from different uh, nations that are gathered in Jerusalem that speak different languages uh, all suddenly are able to understand the apostles because the language of the Holy Spirit uh, overcomes all these ethnic and cultural barriers and reunites the human family and the Church. And that's one of the purposes of the Church, by the way, is to reunite all human beings together as a as a co cohesive family once more, uh, like we once were. Uh, so that's a beautiful aspect of Pentecost. Another Old Testament option uh, reading is uh, the account of Sinai uh, and Moses receiving the law at Sinai. And that's important as well, because Pentecost was the Jewish festival that celebrated the giving of the law at Sinai. And what we see in Acts 2 is that the new law of the new covenant is being poured out, and that new law is actually the Holy Spirit, because God's law is now no longer written on tablets of stone, but it's written on our hearts. And uh, that's why the, the bystanders listening to Peter, it says they're cut to the heart, because a lot of times in ancient world, writing took place by cutting like on stone. But um, the Holy Spirit's being poured out, and they're cut to the heart, and they ask what to do, and then be baptized, receive the forgiveness of sins, receive the Spirit. So we have a kind of new Sinai with uh, fire and wind, just like we saw at the mountain with Moses, but now, um, you know, under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not scary anymore, but it's, it's peaceful, 
and uh, and it grants us that uh, union with God through the Holy Spirit. So, a lot of rich stuff going on in the scriptures uh, this coming Sunday. Absolutely, and it, and as I was saying, it's something that our listeners uh, can prepare with, um, you know, prepare uh, to to listen to these scriptures um, by going to ncregister.com and and looking at your own uh, uh, commentary there. Uh, It's titled, Pentecost, the Spirit Enters the World. And the subtitle is, User's Guide to Sunday, May 23rd, Pentecost Sunday. And in that piece, uh, John, you wrote uh, that, you know, in year B, there are alternate readings that can be read for Sunday. And um, that you wrote about how as a Protestant, you would have understand uh, some of those readings a little bit differently than you do now as a Catholic. And uh, <laughs> as you wrote about that, you, you, you used a word that we use a lot here in, in Louisiana, y'all. So what does this <laughs> alter, alternate uh, uh, reading that we can read in year B have to do with y'all? In uh, year B, we read from John 15 also John 16, passages from the Last Supper Discourse, where Jesus promises the gift of the Spirit, and he says that the Spirit is going to lead y'all into all truth. And (laughs) the point I tried to make in the register piece is that when I was a Protestant, um, this verse was often quoted by charismatics uh, and others who claimed that this is basically a promise of infallibility to the individual Christian, so that if you read your Bible and you prayed for the Holy Spirit, like you would inerrantly uh, inerrantly receive the exact truth, and thus you didn't need a church, you didn't need tradition, you didn't need any guidance, etc., because all you needed was the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures. But it doesn't say you singular in this passage. It's it's not talking to you individuals. It's talking to all y'all, basically. (laughs) It's speaking to the whole group of apostles. And the promise is not that the Spirit will lead each individual Christian without mistake, because we do make mistakes all the time. But the promise is God is going to lead all. all of the church together into the truth. And so each individual Christian is not infallible, but the church as a whole, uh, we together are infallible. And you might say, well, how does that express itself? Well, one way is through an ecumenical council, when the leaders of the entire church are gathered and the successors of all the apostles are gathered together as a group. And then... Uh, together they have that promise that the Spirit's going to lead them into all truth. So this is one of the reasons why we believe an ecumenical council, for example, is infallible, because of that promise uh, from Jesus that the Spirit will lead all of you all into the truth together. It just makes me think, you know, you've, you've mentioned the Tower of Babel, you mentioned that the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples was, um, was so important in terms of unity, of the church, and today we see so much division. Uh, I mean, Pentecost is a is a reminder uh, that as church we we need unity. Church is about unity, and we're being called to unity. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. We need the Holy Spirit so much right now. You know, what, what an important time. How can Pentecost Sunday, how can um, our, our prayer beseeching the Holy Spirit to stay with us and to be with us and to guide us, how, how can this help us today in, when we face so much division? Yeah, so one of the things we see at Pentecost is not just the Spirit, uh, but also the role of Peter and the role of the Blessed Mother. And uh, so Peter is at the forefront of um, the event of Pentecost, and it's his preaching that convicts the hearts of the bystanders and bystanders, and leads to their conversion and to the, the first large leap forward in the growth of the Church. And of course, <clears throat> the Apostles and the Brethren of our Lord were gathered around the Blessed Mother uh, in the upper room praying for uh, the Spirit. And so, you know, Jeanette, you rightly point out the division that exists among Christians today. Part of that division is that while most Christians are willing to accept the Spirit, they forget about the Blessed Mother and Peter. And uh, but Mm. but they have important roles with the Spirit as well. You know, so the successor of Peter and the Blessed Mother are also sources of unity. And if we neglect their role in the church then um and just claim the spirit alone it's not uh it's not sufficient because it's not god's plan so i think that in Pente- as uh pentecost is celebrated we should you know remember that there's a, there are sources of unity for the church that god has given us including the role of peter and mary and we need to talk to our separated brethren uh, in other denominations, about the importance of the role of the successor of Peter and the the continuing role of the Blessed Mother in the life of the Church as factors that um, that unify us as uh, Christians. So I think that's an important thing that we can we can ponder. And then, of course, in the celebration of Pentecost, we should certainly pray as we're opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We should certainly pray for that unity in the Spirit among all baptized Christians, it can be a kind of day of prayer for Christian unity, and very appropriately so, I believe. Absolutely, absolutely. And and to pray for that conviction of heart, too, that you've mentioned several times in the course of this conversation, because each of us, it, you know, unity starts with us, and, and that conviction of heart that we have to be united to Christ and His Church, and, and then, you know, on from there, our brethren. Uh, John Bergsman, it's been great to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for writing uh, the user guides to Sunday uh, at ncregister.com. You're welcome. We are taking a break, and when we come back, we hear from Edward Penton about Cardinal-elect McElroy and the other newly named Cardinals. This is Register Radio. More when we return. Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. 
To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined by Edward Penton, the Register's Rome correspondent. Last week, big announcement on Sunday, kind of unexpected, I think, uh, Pope Francis announced he will create 21 new cardinals at a consistory at the end of August, uh, so August 27th. Among the cardinals-elect is San Diego Bishop Robert McElroy. That was a bit of a surprise, and Edward will turn to him uh, in a few minutes. I think he garnered the most attention from the U.S. audience, of course, um, but uh, some people might say I'm burying the lead here, but I want to look at the big picture first. I think sometimes we're a little too U.S.-centric here. So who else was named? Uh, can you give us an overview? Yes. Uh, well, I think, as as you said, Jeanette, it, it, well, it was kind of unexpected. I think people weren't expecting it quite so soon this year, although the consistory was expected in 2022. Uh, what's unusual about this is, as you say, that it's it's actually going to be held at the end of August, which is quite some time since its announcement. So that's quite unusual. But just to give you an overview of the of the candidates, again, the Pope has really um, gone to the peripheries. He's, he's chosen quite a few uh, new cardinals from the global south, from the country, from countries where the churches seem to be growing most uh, in Africa and, and mainly in Africa, actually, um, this time. But he's also uh, chosen, as you say, the, uh, some unusual or unexpected candidates, such as Bishop Robert McElroy of San Diego. Um, he's a suffragan bishop of um, the, the larger uh, diocese of Los Angeles. So it's um, it's quite unusual that uh, the Los Angeles uh, bishop, of course, Archbishop Gomez, uh, has not been made a cardinal, and yet uh, Bishop Robert McElroy has been. Um, and San Diego is a relatively small uh, diocese in comparison. So, um, but very, Bishop McElroy is very much of the same sort of ideological position as the Pope. Uh, he has very much the same views and the same thinking. He's very um, a great proponent of combating climate change, for example, which is something the Pope is, has been very concerned about. So that's one of the one of the, th- the things which they have in common. But there are others too, um, and uh, he's. He's not seen as particularly orthodox in many different ways, and that's another um, another element to this as well. So, so that's um, so that's been an interesting aspect to this. And I'll um, jump in right yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, just to talk sure. about you brought up McElroy. I was gonna I was gonna bring him up later, but this is great. I, I can jump in. You know, um, <laughs> uh, John Allen, who is uh, the head of Crux, a, a competitor, I guess, of of the Register, um, but but no. Um, you know, no conservative, and he basically called uh, Bishop McElroy the most uh, liberal bishop in the U.S. I mean, so that's coming from somebody who, uh, you know, is not necessarily uh, right of center. <laughs> um, hmm. So it it is a, it is quite a um, a pick. 
I think in terms of a, of a statement, um, and as you mentioned, kind of passing over Archbishop Gomez, who is um, head of the largest diocese in in the uh, U.S., and, and also mm-hmm. the Pope has always reached out to uh, the Latino community or has had a concern for the peripheries, and, and really this is one of the largest um, uh, Latino archdiocese in the U.S., uh, that is uh, Los Angeles. Uh, so it is. It really yeah. was a remarkable thing to to go um, to to another California bishop and elevate him. Um, quite quite a statement, I think. And uh, uh, Father Raymond de Souza wrote a piece that that basically speaks about what is unsaid in the name. Mm-hmm. You know, the names he has elevated, the people he's elevated. The title of that piece is Pope Francis names new cardinals. What's unsaid speaks volumes, and it kind of gives us three different examples. And of course, uh, McElroy is one of those. I think one of the most interesting, and a lot of people in the media has, has made a big deal of this, but this comes on the heels, I'm sure it was timed before, but it comes on the heels of Archbishop Corte Leone's um, issuing of uh, a ban, basically, on, on Nancy Pelosi from receiving communion. She, she can't receive communion in in his diocese until she uh, reforms her her pro-abortion position, and mm. and really McElroy has disagreed with Cordelione on this for for uh, a year now or more, and um, and made it very public. So some people interpreted uh, this announcement right as as being a um, a blessing on McElroy's position there. So who knows? Um, you know, we can only speculate, and all of this is speculation when you begin to say why somebody might have been elected. Um, but, yes, but Edward, yeah, I'm sorry, I jumped in, and you were going to highlight some of the other cardinals who um, we may not uh, yeah. know very well, or, or even others who were passed over. Yes, well, just to stay, stay with, with Bishop McElroy, well, I think what's quite interesting about this consistory is how it the, the the evidence seems to suggest that it was rather made on the fly and, and done rather quickly. Hmm. Um, and it does seem as though perhaps Bishop McElroy was chosen partly because of his, his stance on, on abortion, as you say, and 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 the recent news, because um, another another um, choice the Pope made was was uh, the apostolic delegate, I believe he is, of Mongolia, who's actually an Italian, whom he only met... Um, a week or two ago, uh, and apparently, um, it seems like, um, as according to to my sources, he he just liked liked him and thought he should make a good cardinal. And he's now going to be the youngest cardinal um, in the college. Um, he's only forty forty seven, I believe. So, you know, these it's just, a lot of these appointments do seem to be made on a whim, um, and so not all of them, I expect, but but some of them. And so it uh, it, it 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 does have that rather strange peculiarity about this consistory at this time. That could explain, the, as you mentioned, the time frame difference, you know, that it's it's several, uh, well, three, four months, three months um, from the, the uh, actual consistory. So so maybe maybe you're right, and, and your sources are right regarding that time frame. Um, if Matthew were here, he couldn't be with us today, but if he were here, he, he would point out, you know, that Pope uh, Francis has, uh, in all of his appointments, uh, selected people 
geographically, you know, from the peripheries, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And there, there are those in this list that are from Singapore, from India, from South Korea, um, really right. remarkable places. But then also those that he has a personal connection with in one way or the other. Sometimes it's even people he just met, like you said, um, and, mm. and he has met them. They impressed him that he, he felt like he measured them up and, and now he's given him uh, this, this um, uh, special uh, appointment. Um, it's yeah. very interesting to note i i think um there are, he has pope francis has uh appointed 52 percent of the cardinal electors which the number is now 117 right that's right yes yes he's appointed uh, the majority now that doesn't necessarily mean that all those he's appointed will choose his sort of favorite successor that that isn't always a done deal as it were but it it does certainly um increase the chances that somebody uh, similar to pope francis or somebody who wants to continue along his line could be elected but it's um but we'll have to see about that i i I think it's at the moment i think it's still either or it could could go either way we'd have to see but uh but yes and and, uh, just to continue with these names that there were um a few which were expected like um Archbishop Arthur Roach, the prefect of the Congregation of the, the Divine Worship, um, and um, uh, Bishop um, Fernando Verges, who's president of Vatican City State. These these positions often are made uh, are, are filled up with the cardinal, <clears throat> and so I think those those were expected also because of what uh, Archbishop Arthur Roach had done um, in terms of implementing Traditionis Custodes, which of course um, listeners will probably know was the the document which which put restrictions on the traditional mass. Um, and and these these sort of appointments, these sort of elevations to the cardinal, the College of Cardinals have really been a sort of, as a thank you for those, for, for work done, as it were, um, for, for some of these, at least uh, in, in, the con- in this consistory. Right. And I will mention there are six other uh, U.S. cardinals um, that are still leading um, their sees or leading their archdiocese. I believe, uh, if I'm not wrong, three of them were um, also named by uh, Pope Francis. So Blaise Supich um, and uh, uh, Joseph Tobin. So Chicago Mm -hmm. And Newark, and of course, um, there's Wilton Gregory in Washington. So uh, that's that's what we have here in the U.S. I did want to turn, though, um, Edward, uh, for a moment. Um, there, you are taking um, a nice uh, long holiday, um, more than just a holiday <laughs> this summer. I wanted to mention that uh, to our our listeners, because of course you're you're prolific in our pages. I mean, you're constantly um, turning something around on the website, offering us um, some great material. And, and there's going to be a little pause on that anyway. Um, what's up for the summer? Yes, yes, I'm going to do the the Chartres pil- pilgrimage from um, Paris to Chartres, the famous uh, two two and a half day pilgrimage. It's not very long, uh, but it's uh, supposed to be a very good one. I've not done it before, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent, excellent. Well, we uh, will pray for you uh, in your journeys. Um, we'll look for a few things that you give us here and there just to, to keep in touch. And, uh, and we ask our listeners to also uh, pray for you during this, um, this kind of quiet time that you have. Uh, there is one more story you're working on that you should be filing, and that's something for our ris- listeners to uh, look forward to. And it's also related to Episcopal appointments. Um, so, Ed- Edward, I know there's a piece 
uh, that will talk about some inconsistencies in the handling of um, cases of misconduct with the bishop. So I'm just teasing that for our listeners, for them to go to ncregister.com for that story and for more news analysis and commentary. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN Radio. Uh, For our producer, Jeff Burson, and myself, Janetta Mello, until next week, God bless you.